Bracknell, Wokingham, Henley, Reading. The voice River Radio of the Thames Valley. Hello, it's Turning Pages here on River Radio. We'll be discussing some great books and our favourite reads. Publisher Mike Bryan will be introducing some classic retellings. And we've got a Christmas treat in store for you all. You're listening to Heather Adams and Julian Ashton on Turning Pages. Hello. Every week we aim to delight you with an eclectic mix of recommended books to enjoy from the latest bestsellers to our favourite classics. So if you love reading or just want to make sure you know what's happening in the world of books, then this is your programme. Thank you for joining us. We have got a very special Turning Pages for you today as it is Christmas week. We've got publisher Mike Bryan in the studio, who will be chatting to us about his company Real Reads, which produces fabulous retellings of classic stories described by Radio 4 as miniature masterpieces. And then we can all sit back and enjoy a retelling from one of these audiobooks. And what better choice than A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, retold by Jill Taverner. So let's just listen to a tiny bit of what's coming up. Bah, humbug, complained Scrooge. Fools wishing me a merry Christmas should be forced to sit on cushions stuffed with holly leaves or boiled with their own Christmas puddings. Go away and take a merry Christmas with you. There you are. Of course, spoiler alert, it is a merry Christmas to one and all by the end. Indeed, indeed, and Merry Christmas to you all and a good morning. Uh, Don't forget, as usual, we do want to hear from you. If you have a favourite author that you're just bursting to tell us about, please do get in touch. Or if you're reading a particular book at the moment that you're really excited about, let us know. Also, if you're running a local book club or you're a local author, get in touch. We really do want to hear from you. And you can get in touch with me um, at my email address, which is julian at river.radio, with any of your book news or tidbits or indeed any recommendations or ideas for our future programmes. Great, so let's start with a quick roundup of the top selling books for the Christmas week period. So last year, Charles Mackesy, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse was the runaway bestseller. And it's just been announced that he has, or that book, has become the UK's best-selling adult hardback book since records began, according to figures released by his publisher, Ebury. And it's still selling strong. In the pre-Christmas week, it was number five in the best-selling books. Gosh, that's really good. And also uh, sitting high in the bestsellers is um, Richard Osman, who's the uh, Pointless co-host. His debut novel, as you probably know, is The Thursday Murder Club. And it's been the UK's best-selling book for the last full week before Christmas. Now, The Murder Mystery, it's uh, sold an amazing 134,500 copies in the week up to Saturday. I, now, can't, that's believe, mo- yeah. I can't believe there are any people in the country that are left to buy it 
Well, I'm one. Um, so there we are. So, uh, Mr. Osmond, you can probably rack up another book sale soon. Um, now, this his 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 achievement um, is more than double than the next biggest seller, which is Barack Obama's memoir, A Promised Land, which has sold a mere sixty six thousand five hundred copies. Tommy. Um, <clears throat> Osmond's book had the highest sales for Christmas number one since Jamie Oliver a decade ago, according to the bookseller. And it is the first debut novel to be Christmas number one since current records began, which was in the late 1990s. Now, the Thursday Murder Club has sold almost 700,000 copies in less than four months, according to um, his publisher, Penguin, making it the third best-selling hardback novel, hardback, mind you, after Dan Brown's Lost Symbol and J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Well, that is pretty impressive. It is indeed. And in terms of children's books, David Williams... Uh, who has been actually for the last four Christmases number one in terms of best-selling books. He's only managed to make number three this year with code name Bananas. And that sold 55,000 copies. And A Pinch of None, Quick and Easy by Kay Featherstone and Kate Allenson, published by Macmillan, has sold just under that, so 53,000 copies in the pre-Christmas week, which uh, last week then made it the fourth best-selling list overall. And news in this morning, actually it's overtaken all the others and it's now become the biggest selling book of the Christmas period. Well, that is really interesting news and not surprising because, uh, as an endorsement from me, they are excellent books. They really are good if you're wanting to um, have low-calorie but really interesting meals, really by um, anything that Pinch of uh, Nom does. They're really wonderful. Brilliant. Uh, Now, finally, uh, one of our listeners, uh, Jan uh, Vicker from Worcestershire, see how far our programme goes, has been in touch to remind us about a fabulous Icelandic tradition on Christmas Eve. And I think that we should all embrace it. I think it's a fantastic tradition. And the tradition is to give a book on Christmas Eve and then spend the evening reading whilst enjoying sipping hot chocolate. Oh, that sounds good. Doesn't that sound like a perfect start to Christmas and getting you in the mood for the madness of Christmas Day? Excuse me, it does indeed. So what's your choice of book? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> ah, ah, well, actually, well, it's a, it's a say choice of book, to be honest. Um, I'm 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 reading the Doctor Sin novels, so oh, whilst, brilliant! Yeah, so so it's it's well, it's it's in it's in my set of books to read. So I'm going through them, so I'm about to go on to the second volume. Ah, so that's what I've got. That's, that that sounds perfect. Yeah. So, hot chocolate or just a box of chocolates, basically. Christmas Eve, a good book, some music on the. Um, on the sound system, that sounds like my sort of my sort of evening. Perfect, as uh, Pop Larkin would say. Perfect, <laughs> perfect indeed. You're listening to Turning Pages on River Radio, and we're all in for a treat. As later in the program, we have a fabulous recording of the audio book of the Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, retold for Real Reads. Now, before we do that, I'd like to introduce Mike Bryan, who's one of the directors of the company and who've published the version we'll be listening to today. So, Mike, good morning. Good morning. Hi, Heath. Thanks for inviting me on the show. My pleasure, and thank you for letting us uh, use the the audio recording uh, of... uh, Christmas Carol, really excited about that. So before we uh, we listen to that, tell me a little bit about uh, the books that you published. Tell me about Real Reads. 
Uh, well, I've always we publish classics, uh, and um, I've always had an interest in classics. I used to work for Penguin Books. I was connected with the Penguin Classics there, uh, and also for Puffin, uh, um, which uh, did the children's books there. So uh, I've always had an interest in that. And um, what real reads are are retellings of classics, and they're not sort of kids' classics, but they are originally designed for 8 to 14 year olds but actually loads of people find them uh, really enjoyable um, whatever age they are. I've, I've got to say I was looking through the catalogue earlier on and the list of the books that you cover anything from Homer with the Odyssey to Shakespeare, Jane Austen it's truly impressive but how did you get the idea of writing these this so they're simplified they're, they're reduced to about 64 well, pages they're, they're retellings they're actually 54 pages right, long sorry. with 10 pages of notes uh, but um, they so what one of our founders yeah. uh, was at a publishing conference and uh, was horrified to hear that only 10% of classics ever bought by people are read. And he wow. thought that surely there is something wrong here. And there's, there's, uh, there's um, uh, a, a solution to that issue. And um, he, um, he thought that by retelling them, and actually, when you think about it, a lot of classics are very... Th- big books. Well, I've got to say that I've got to admit that possibly when I read Charles Dickens, I might miss out all those sort of descriptions yeah. of the landscape and things like that. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. Cause, and, and sometimes the language is a little bit impenetrable yes. in, in some of the great books. Yeah. Um, so uh, to his idea was to, um, to publish these in 54 pages. So yeah. you can read it uh, in under an hour. Uh, and uh, it tells you everything you need to know about that book. It tells you about all the characters, and it gives you um, ideas for further reading. Uh, afterwards, it, it, it does encourage you to read the full book if you enjoyed it. Um, and they're great, and we published over 100 of them. It's, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, uh, they're incredible. I see Radio 4's open book describe them as miniature masterpieces. So what is it that makes it so special? Is it just that you can just sit down in, in, one, in one telling and sort of read, read the book? Well, they, they certainly are accessible. But um, the great thing about it is we have, we have a team of um, authors that retell the books. Yeah. Uh, and um, they've all worked in education in, in some way or another. They've been teach, teachers. Uh, and um, what they manage to do and they strive to do is to keep the sense of the original author. Right. And uh, so so if you're reading Dickens... Um, even it feels like a Dickens. It, it feels like a Dickens. And uh, uh, if you're reading... Um, uh, well, I, you know, we do Jane Austen, we do... Um, Arthur F, Conan Doyle. F, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Edgar Allan Poe. And George Orwell. <laughs> so, you know, so it, it, the, the readings do feel like you're reading the book, but the benefit is it's only 54 pages. And um, if you want to become incredibly well-read... In no time at all, you can do that with real reads. Well, I've got to say, you started saying they were educational in in a way, but I was looking at the variety of the books and seeing, for example, The Odyssey and The Iliad, which I haven't read, 
But I think I'll definitely be picking up uh, a real reads version because that sounds a perfect way of getting the gist of the story down in uh, in one in one go, yeah. in one cup of coffee. No, they're they're brilliant and they're very inclusive. We do um, so we do all the all the, the people that you'd expect us to do, Jane Austen, Charles Dickens, as we've said. But um, we also do Indian classics. We do the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, um, and we do Chinese classics. We do the Water Margin. So. Um, it's it's very inclusive and um you know you can not only t- uh, find uh, great English literature but foreign literature too yeah and are you able to I mean presumably you're doing classics so the very nature of that term means the um, they've become established in the uh, reading public so have you got lots of books that you can keep adding to your your list. Yes, there's a massive wealth of, of classics that we can add and we're looking to do some more modern classics uh, shortly and actually to do some non-fiction as well, some, li- okay. some lives of people I think we'd, we'd quite like to do the lives of, life of Nelson Mandela or, um, or Anne Frank and, and, uh, uh, some, and a life of Jane Austen would be a lovely thing as well Absolutely. So how do you go about um, choosing the, uh, or what's the, the most recent books that you've, uh, you've published in this uh, icon? Well, the, the ones that we've done this year and have proved massively successful are George Orwell's 1984 and Animal Farm. And um, uh, they're perennial, um, wonderful books. Uh, they make you think. Uh, and um, they have proved to be uh, enormous bestsellers already, and they've only been out six months. Brilliant, that's fantastic. So what uh, what are your favourites out of the the books? Um, Well, I do... uh, It's tricky. I absolutely adore The Pit and the Pendulum, which is uh, Edgar Allan Poe, of course. Uh, And it is... uh, I I should say that these books are available in paperback, they're available in hardcover, uh, they're available as e-books. And And audiobooks, as we will later hear. And they're also available as audiobooks. Uh, And the audiobooks are great, but the audiobook of Pit and the Pendulum is just fantastic. I mean, you really do get the, the sense of anguish and peril uh, as that pendulum is getting closer and closer. Yeah, it's a great story, it's a great, it? It's a great story. So I love that. Uh, I love the 39 Steps, which we do. Um, uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to choose because they're all great. You've basically just got to get the set, haven't you? You've got to get the set. <laughs> You've got to get the set. So how, how many are there in the series? There's 100. Oh, there's 100, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you need to get a set and a shelf. <laughs> so that's a number of Christmas presents then coming up. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. And, you know, if you're a good reader at the age of eight, you'll absolutely uh, love these uh, and you love them through your teens. Lots of teenagers uh, read them if they've got these books for exams. Um, oh, so. you mean as a as a quick sort of reminder before you do an exam? Yeah. So, so I think they're brilliant at telling you about the uh, the characters and what the main plot lines are. So, yeah, they're great um, if you're if you're um, doing exams on English literature. Yeah, I also quite like the idea that they have these notes because often you don't know whether you want to invest the time in the full story. Yeah. And actually being able to read it quickly and then saying, yes, that is a book I'm quite happy to dedicate sort of 10 hours to. 
yeah. to read, um, that that gives you a real sort of pleasure to do that, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it does. And you know, and we do some books where the um, the covers are alarmingly far apart from each other uh, in their original versions. So, but we, you know, we do uh, Tolstoy's Anna, Anna Karenina, uh, and um, and Les Miserables. So, um, and in fifty four pages, so it's great. Brilliant. Okay, so who who buys your books then? So it's uh, it's it's anybody. It's adults, children's libraries. Yes, they're great. They're great as presents. Um, they're built. Uh, they're they're used in schools quite a lot. Um, but increasingly, um, adults are reading them or listening to the audio books um, because they're fun. Yeah, and something you can just do on the car on the way Absolutely. on the way home. So, how do we find out more about the books that you publish? Uh, well, an easy way would be to go to our website, which is www.realreads.co.uk, uh, and that will tell you anything, everything about them. And then we can, but we can buy them from... Yeah, so you can buy them from bookshops, uh, your local independent bookshops, you can buy them from um, uh, online uh, retailers, uh, and you can download the Audible, uh, the audiobook from Audible. Uh, and uh, you can get ebooks from online re- uh, retailers as well. Fantastic. Is there anything else I need to know about your books? Or have we covered, we seem to have covered it all at the uh, minute? Uh, well, I think they're great. I'd love to come back and talk to you about our new Sherlock Holmes series uh, uh, on another programme, if you'll have me back. Yes, absolutely. That sounds really exciting. So very quickly, what are those? Uh, well, then, they're, they're, they're the complete books. They're not, um, they're not retellings and they're gorgeous gift editions, uh, which would be brilliant for um, birthday and uh, if you've got time to get out, um, Christmas presents. Oh, that sounds fantastic. So they're... They're beautiful editions, gift editions of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, and they're available at independent bookshops. I know uh, the Cook and Bookshop uh, has uh, books in at the moment, so well worth popping down there and trying to nab one for a Christmas present. That sounds brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Um, Mike, it's a pleasure, and uh, we look forward to you coming back and talking to you about uh, Sherlock Holmes. But that was uh, Real Reads that we've been talking about there. So we've been listening to Mike enthusing about the uh, Real Read books that he publishes. And now we have the great pleasure of listening to the Christmas classic. So this is, of course, A Christmas Carol, by Charles Dickens, and it's retold by Jill Tavener. So get a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, sit back and enjoy. Bah, humbug, complained Scrooge. Fools wishing me a merry Christmas should be forced to sit on cushions stuffed with holly leaves or boiled with their own Christmas puddings. Go away and take a merry Christmas with you. But, Uncle, I'm wishing you a Merry Christmas in spite of yourself. Remember, shouted Scrooge's beaming rosy-cheeked nephew, turning back as he left the office, you are welcome to join us for Christmas dinner. As the nephew left, his warmth went with him. Now the office was cold. Cold is cheap, and Scrooge liked it that way. In the dim light of his inadequate fire, Scrooge muttered, Humbug, again, and went back to counting his money. At another desk in the same room, Scrooge's office clerk, Bob Cratchit, sat scribbling furiously. 
He had wished Scrooge's nephew a Merry Christmas and felt afraid of Scrooge's reaction. And you, Bob Cratchit, what right has someone as poor as you to be merry? I'm sorry, Mr Scrooge. I suppose you would like to stay at home tomorrow to spend Christmas with your children. I would dearly love it, sir. Why should I pay you for a day at home? Christmas is just an excuse for picking my pocket. I shall expect you in early the next day to make up for it. Yes, certainly, Mr Scrooge. Poor Bob pulled his scarf more tightly round his neck and blew on his hands in a vain attempt to warm them. He returned to his work. The one coal that Scrooge allowed on the fire was dying, and with it the slight warmth that it brought. But for Scrooge's clinking money and Bob's scratching pen, the room was silent. Clang! The bell above the door clanged its cheerless clang, announcing the arrival of another unwelcome visitor. Merry Christmas, sir, said a portly, smiling gentleman. Is it? muttered Scrooge. It certainly should be, sir. Christmas is a time for goodness, for generous giving. I am collecting for homeless children that they might be sheltered and fed this Christmas. What? exclaimed Scrooge. Are there no prisons, no workhouses to do this job? Unfortunately, sir, there are plenty of both. Then the beggars have no need of my charity, grumbled Scrooge. His cold hands ushered the stunned gentleman back out through the door. The bell clanging farewell. Bob coughed and rubbed his hands together. His employer was a grasping, scraping, selfish, cold old sinner, hard and sharp and very lonely. As Bob reached for a new coal for the fire, Scrooge snapped at him. Go on, then. Go and join the other fools out there. Oh, thank you, sir. Bob scuttled to the door, hurriedly putting on his coat, before Scrooge could change his mind. And a merry Christmas. Go! shouted Scrooge. Humbug, he muttered as the clanging bell echoed his loneliness. The fire dead the candle extinguished and the cash-box firmly locked. Scrooge pulled the door closed behind him as he stepped out into the street. He looked up at the sign above the shop door. Scrooge and Marley, it said, even though Jacob Marley had been dead seven years. Scrooge hadn't bothered to paint out the Marley. It would cost money for someone to do it. Sometimes people new to the business called Scrooge Scrooge and sometimes Marley, but he answered to both names. It was all the same to him. What was not in doubt, however, was that Marley was dead, utterly dead, dead as a doornail. Scrooge, the sole mourner at his funeral, had seen his coffin lowered into the ground. The cold and dampness felt comfortable to Scrooge, unlike the cheerful faces of the hurrying people around him, people eager to be home with their families, people eager to prepare their Christmas dinners. 
Although most of them avoided Scrooge, he felt attacked by their happiness, offended by their smiles, and he hid in a shop doorway to avoid the horror of a young boy singing Christmas carols. Ah, humbug! Eventually, he reached his front door, having taken a longer route than usual to avoid yet more carol singers. Scrooge slid the key into the lock. As he did so, something made him jump back. He gasped. He stared. The old brass knocker on his door appeared to have developed a face. Scrooge blinked to make the image disappear. It stayed. The face's deadly, cold eyes stared at him, sending a chill through his flesh. What he saw was impossible. It was the face of Jacob Marley. Hesitantly, Scrooge entered his cold, dark house. The door slammed behind him. Nonsense, he attempted to convince himself. Stuff and nonsense. It was dark inside the house, but Scrooge decided not to light a candle. Darkness was cheap, and Scrooge liked it that way. He glanced back at his front door, then felt his way up the stairs. Once in his room, he looked carefully around before undressing, climbing into bed and pulling the covers tightly over his head. Cold, dark and still, no sound but his own breathing, Scrooge was disturbed by the vision of Jacob Marley in his front door knocker and was finding it difficult to sleep. Jingle. Scrooge stirred. Tinkle. Scrooge's wide eyes peeped above his covers. Jangle. Scrooge's eyes were drawn towards the movement of a bell. Old, dusty and unused these many years which hung in the corner of his room. It was now swinging vigorously. Clatter, clang, bang, clang, bang, crash. This wasn't just the bell. There were loud noises outside his bedroom door. A booming sound echoed up his staircase. Bang! The door was blasted open by a violently cold wind. Scrooge shot bolt upright in his bed. Through the darkness... He once again saw the deadly, cold eyes of Jacob Marley. As Scrooge stared, he noticed that Marley, or rather Marley's ghost, was bound by heavy iron, with chains, padlocks and cash boxes that clanged when he moved. Nonsense, muttered Scrooge, trying to settle himself again. Just a bad dream. I must have eaten too much cheese. No, Scrooge, this isn't a dream, whispered the spirit, nor is it a nightmare. Scrooge, this is real. It gave a frightful cry, echoed by a frightened yelp from Scrooge. Marley clattered his chains. See, see. See these chains. See these chains, whispered Marley. I, I, I see them. Here, 
Hear my words. Hear my words. I, I hear them. These chains I made during my earthly life. For these past seven years, I have been sleepless, restless, knowing only remorse and sorrow. He continued in a whisper like a sad, lonely breeze. I spent many selfish years doing business, ignoring, as you do, the more important business of mankind. Now I pay. Now I pay and I suffer. Humbug! Nonsense! Bad dream, said Scrooge, firmly blinking hard. Listen, continued the spirit, whilst you have the chance, see through your window. Obeying, Scrooge was chilled to the core as he saw the cold night sky fill with spirits all chained like Marley. We all made others suffer. Now the suffering is our own. We are eternally doomed to wander this earth, seeking to do good, but forever miserable that we have lost the power to do so. Scrooge stared in horror. You still have a chance of escaping this fate, whispered the ghost, now chillingly close. Expect three more spirits. No, please, begged Scrooge. Expect them. The spirit faded into the night sky. Exhausted, Scrooge stumbled backwards against his bed. Humbug, he muttered as he slid into a restless sleep. Scrooge was awakened by his clock striking one. He held his breath and peeped out of the safety of his covers. Nothing. He breathed a sigh of relief. Like a bolt of lightning, a bright flash filled the room as the curtains around his bed were flung violently apart. Scrooge gasped. His heart thumped as his eyes struggled to adjust to the light. The figure gradually becoming clear to him was small and fresh-faced like a young boy, but long grey hair and sinuous arms made him look grotesquely old. The strangest thing was that from the top of his head sprang a bright, clear fountain of light. What or who are you? ventured Scrooge. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. Don't be afraid. I have come to do you good. I can't help thinking that a good night's sleep would have done me more good.
observed Scrooge, trying to break the solemn atmosphere. The spirit ignored him. Come with me, it beckoned, walking towards the window. Touch my heart and you will fly with me. Scrooge did as he was instructed and found himself flying through the night sky. They flew away from London's mist to beautiful fields filled with snow and so many happy children that it seemed the crisp cold air itself was laughing. Why do you weep? asked the spirit, observing Scrooge closely. I was a boy here, whispered Scrooge. I was a boy. They came to rest in a cold classroom, empty but for one boy sitting in a corner reading. Oh, that's me, sobbed Scrooge. Poor, lonely Ebenezer Scrooge. I spent many Christmases here with only my books for company. Until, said the spirit, inviting Scrooge to continue, until the time... My sister Fan took me home, remembered Scrooge softly. As he watched, the young Scrooge in the classroom grew a few years older. The boy paced round the room, waiting for something or someone. With a blast of energy, the door burst open and a lively girl, all smiles and hugs, ran straight to him. Father has grown kinder, she laughed. You are to come home forever. Dear, dear sister, said the boy, holding her tightly and laughing with joy. My dear, dear sister, repeated the old miser Scrooge, as tears fell freely down his cheeks. She grew to be a wonderfully kind woman, he said to the spirit. I know, came the gentle reply. She died, did she not, some years ago, leaving just one son. My nephew, sighed Scrooge, wishing in that moment that he could talk to his nephew. Come, come, time is short. The spirit clicked his fingers, hurrying Scrooge on. The scene now changed before Scrooge's eyes. He found himself tapping his feet and smiling, unable to resist some merry melodies being played on a frisky fiddle. Around him, forty laughing people danced and clapped. They danced in and out, pranced up and down, bumped into one another. They apologised before moving on and standing on another person's toes. Bright-eyed, red-cheeked and out of breath, they rested, drank and danced once again as the irresistible fiddle struck up a fresh tune. On the tables was a magnificent spread of turkey, ham, mince pies, Christmas cake and plenty of beer to which the dancers joyfully helped themselves. Scrooge, my boy, smiled a fat, jovial voice. Merry Christmas! The older Scrooge watched a younger version of himself raising his glass and calling back, Merry Christmas, Mr. Fezziwig. Why, it's old Fezziwig, gasped Scrooge. He was my employer. Was he a good man to work for? asked the spirit. Oh, the best, 
exclaimed Scrooge enthusiastically. He had the power to make us happy or unhappy, to make our work a pleasure or a toil, and he always chose to make us happy. How wonderful to work for such a generous man, observed the spirit, watching Scrooge carefully. Yes, indeed, sighed Scrooge, wishing at that moment that he could talk to Bob Cratchit. The spirit clicked his fingers again, and a new scene flickered into view. A pretty young lady was weeping, handing a ring to the solemn-faced young man sitting next to her. You are no longer the boy I loved, she sobbed. You think only of gain and of gold. You have become grasping and cold. But wealth is important for our future, argued the young man. Love and goodness are more important, and they are dying within you. I can no longer marry you. Distressed, the jilted young Scrooge took back his ring and slipped it into his pocket. The older Scrooge fell to his knees. Oh, please, please let this torment end, he begged of the spirit. The spirit turned away and put on his hat. Immediately, the light issuing from the crown of his head was extinguished. Scrooge was alone in his cold, dark bedroom. He sobbed himself to sleep. Scrooge woke himself with a particularly loud snore. Alarmed, he glanced at his clock. His alarm turned to amazement when, for the second time that night, the clock struck one o'clock. Warily, Scrooge poked one bare foot from his bed. He stood up and tiptoed, trembling to the door. Opening it slightly, he put his eye to the tiny crack. Another eye stared back at him. Scrooge leapt back and the door burst open. A jolly giant of a man strode into the room, carrying a glowing torch. He cast light into every corner of the room. His magnificent green robe was bordered with fur. His long, dark, curly hair framed his friendly face. His eyes sparkled. I am the ghost of Christmas present, his glorious voice rang out. Oh, please teach me your lessons. I feel that I am learning well. Scrooge's voice was a mouse's squeak in contrast. Follow me, laughed the spirit, his strong arm round Scrooge's shoulders. They went outside, where the damp morning mist and the dirty melting snow framed the gloomy London scene Scrooge knew so well. Yet at the same time, there was an air of cheerfulness around, and the people who were shoveling the snow away were jovial and full of glee. Snowballs whizzed and splattered on laughing faces. Bustling between brightly lit, glowing shops, the glowing people ran and dashed, forgetting their quarrels and full of the spirit of human love. Inside the shops, oh, what a sight! Onions sat in their baskets like jolly old men. French plums blushed modestly as shelves of rosy apples flirted with customers. 
Turkey and goose hung deliciously from rails, awaiting the chance to grace a family's Christmas table. Baskets clattered, cash tills chinged cheerfully, people forgot their purchases and came dashing back, laughing at their mistake. The church bells rang their invitation, and the crowds flocked towards them, heading to the centre of their Christmas joy. It was Christmas Day, and the ghost of Christmas present watched it all with pleasure. So did Scrooge. The spirit guided Scrooge a few streets further on, where they saw Bob Cratchit striding towards the front door, carrying a small boy on his shoulders. They followed him into the warmth of the Cratchit kitchen. Scrooge felt that his nose was not big enough to breathe in all the wonderful smells. The goose, although barely big enough to feed the family, sat crisp and proud, awaiting carving. The vegetables bubbled excitedly and the pudding steamed and steamed, creating a sweetly scented heaven in which the family revelled. Bob's happy wife her worn-out clothes decorated with cheerily cheap ribbons, was making the brandy butter, whilst their eldest daughter stirred the gravy and their eldest son checked the water for the potatoes. Two young Cratchits ran excitedly around the kitchen. In the other room, now down from Bob's shoulders, Tiny Tim helped his father prepare the table. Tiny Tim was a pale, frail little boy with the face of an angel. Scrooge noticed that he walked with the aid of a crutch and that his weak legs were supported by iron frames. He offered his father what little help he could before sitting wearily in his chair. The children ran in ahead of Mrs Cratchit, who was nervously carrying the goose, as Bob carved, everybody expressed amazement at the tenderness of the meat. Nobody commented on how small it was for such a large family. We are all so fortunate to have each other, mused Tiny Tim. I hope that we can remember children less fortunate than us in our prayers. He looked down at his thin, weakening legs. I hope, too, he said to Bob, that I can be stronger in spirit than I am in body, and so do some good in this world for as long as I am able to stay in it. As dinner was served, Tiny Tim, in his fragile voice, sang a prayer of thanks. Fighting back a tear, Bob held Tim's withered little hand in his own. A merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us, beamed Bob. Merry Christmas, chorused the family. God bless us, every one, concluded Tim. Scrooge looked at Tim. Tell me, spirit, will tiny Tim live? He asked the spirit anxiously. I see a vacant seat at next year's table. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die, answered the spirit sadly. Oh, no. Say that he will be spared. Only if the family's fortunes change. Scrooge thought carefully about this. 
Who had the power to change this family's future? Who could save this precious child and spare the family's heartbreak? The spirit spoke sternly. You have sometimes said that a poor person's death is one less mouth to feed, have you not? Scrooge lowered his head in shame. It may be that, in the sight of heaven, you yourself are less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. I am sure of it, whispered Scrooge. The spirit gently pointed back to the dinner table, where the joyful atmosphere had suddenly faded. Why should we drink a toast to that mean, hard, unfeeling Scrooge, father? Because it is Christmas, and because he is alone, explained Bob. It's very difficult to do when he has been so mean to you and made life so hard for us, said Tiny Tim. Bob squeezed Tim's hand. At Christmas of all times, we should forgive. They raised their glasses. To Mr. Scrooge, they said solemnly. Duty over, their happiness returned, and the house was once again filled with laughter. Stepping back into the bustling streets, Scrooge noticed that the spirit had grown strangely older. His hands grasped the thin wrists of two small children, withered by hunger. The children glared menacingly at Scrooge. Who, who are these children? They are the children we have created. Angels should live within these tiny bodies, but devils now occupy the space. Poverty has taught them misery and anger. Our society has made them what they are, and our society should beware of the monsters they will become. As they arrived back at Scrooge's house, the spirit disappeared, but the children faded more slowly. Thoughts of poverty, of angels, of devils and of Tiny Tim swirled in his head, spinning him dizzily to sleep. The next time Scrooge was awoken, it was by his clock striking twelve times. He suspected this was the prelude to the appearance of another ghost. Opening his eyes, he saw a draped and hooded spirit floating like a mist towards him. Are you the spirit of Christmas yet to come? Covered entirely in black, with only one skeletal arm exposed, the spirit filled Scrooge with horror and dread. Although he was by now used to ghostly company, Scrooge feared the silent shape so much that his legs trembled under him, and he found that he could hardly stand when he prepared to follow it. Show me what you will, dreadful though you are. I believe that you will help me. The bare white arm pointed to the door. Scrooge obeyed, and immediately found himself in Bob Cratchit's living room. Father trudges home so slowly these days, observed the eldest son. 
He used to trot to and fro when he carried Tiny Tim on his shoulders, agreed Mrs. Cratchit. I suppose Tim was very light to carry, and your father loved him so much. The family fell silent, waiting, each one lost in their own sorrow. Tiny Tim's little crutch rested against the wall beside the fire. Mrs. Cratchit wiped a disobedient tear from her cheek. Scrooge did the same. "'Father!' shouted one of the younger children, rushing to embrace Bob as he walked through the door. "'Where have you been?' "'I promised that I would visit his grave every Sunday,' replied Bob, struggling to sound cheerful. Catching sight of the crutch, he broke down. "'My little child! My dear little child!' Bob's children, full of life and love, ran to him. One took his scarf, one brought him a warm drink, and the other two led him to his chair. Climbing onto his knees, they wrapped their arms round their father and covered his face with tender kisses. We will never forget Tiny Tim, comforted Mrs. Cratchit. We must never forget his mildness of spirit, added Bob, composing himself. His generous... Gentle nature should guide us all. Oh, it will, father, it will. Oh, my tiny Tim. Please, please take me away from this, begged Scrooge, tears streaming down his cheeks. The spirit turned and pointed to a street which Scrooge recognised as the city's business district. Two smartly dressed gentlemen were talking as they strode along. I know them, boasted Scrooge. I often do business with them. They hold me in high regard, and I have great respect for their opinions. The spirit signalled that Scrooge should stop talking and listen. Well, well, said the taller man. Few will mourn his death. Indeed, I'm sure many will celebrate the end of their debts. I passed by his office this afternoon, reported the shorter man. His servants were sharing out his goods between themselves. They had taken the curtains and blankets from his bed. Oh, how terrible. That's not all. They had removed the clothes from his dead body as it lay there, unwatched, unwept and uncared for. The taller man gasped in horror. So his body lies there still. Yes, he died alone and remains alone in death except for the rats. Had he been a pleasant man, somebody would have been there to care for him. Very true. Well, the world is a happier place without him. Who is this poor man of whom they talk? asked Scrooge, fearing the answer. The spirit led him to the churchyard and pointed to a newly engraved headstone. Scrooge saw the name Ebenezer Scrooge. Scrooge trembled. His legs, giving up their struggle to support him, threw him to the ground. 
please say that these things can be changed. Please, I will honour Christmas with all my heart and try to keep its spirit every day of the year. Please say that this can change. Scrooge awoke the next morning with considerable relief. He was alive. His blankets and curtains were still there. He was still in his pyjamas. He experienced the unusual sensation of his heart leaping for joy within his breast. I don't know what to do, he shouted, laughing and crying. For someone so out of practice, his laugh was magnificent. He attempted to spring out of bed. This needed more practice. Picking himself off the floor, Scrooge darted around his room. I am as light as a feather, as wobbly as a jelly, as silly as a sausage, as happy as a lark. Outside, the bells merrily jingled their Christmas morning melody. It's Christmas Day! Hooray! Scrooge dressed quickly and pattered downstairs, forgetting his shoes. The day was crisp and bright. Merry Christmas, he shouted to his astounded neighbours. What a wonderful knocker, he exclaimed, giving the knocker on his door a grateful polish. Here, boy! A young boy timidly obeyed Scrooge's call. Take this money, go and buy the biggest turkey you can find, and take it immediately to Bob Cratchit's house. Oh, and keep the change. Still in his socks, Scrooge walked amongst the people in the street. Merry Christmas, he called. God bless you all. He decided that he would accept his nephew's invitation to Christmas dinner this year. That would surprise them. First, however, he must visit a very special family. Gathered around an enormous turkey, Bob and his family looked bemused. When Scrooge looked through the window, Tiny Tim was nowhere to be seen. When an anxiously smiling Scrooge stepped through the door, a small yelp of fear came from behind the turkey. Scrooge peered over the enormous bird, and there was Tiny Tim. Tim, my precious boy, you are still here. With tears streaming down his cheeks and his arms outstretched as if to welcome and embrace, Scrooge stepped towards Tiny Tim. Tim stepped back in terror. Poor Bob, trembling, ushered his family into the safety of the living room. He thought of grabbing the carving knife and calling for help. Surely Scrooge had gone mad. Bob Cratchit, I wish to raise your salary, grinned Scrooge. It took him several long minutes to calm Bob's fears and several more to convince him that he really wished to help. An hour later, happily dozing by Bob's fire with Tiny Tim nestled snugly on his knee, Scrooge suddenly started. His nephew had invited him, Scrooge, to join his family for Christmas dinner and he had nearly forgotten. Swiftly kissing every cratchit on the cheek, he pranced lightly out of the door in his stockinged feet. As he left, he called back into the house. Merry Christmas! God bless you all! God bless us, everyone! 
replied Tiny Tim. That was fantastic. So thank you very much indeed. Of course, that was Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And that was retold by Jill Tefner and published by Real Reads. So I would like to say, Mike, thank you very much to Real Reads for allowing us, for giving us permission to broadcast that, uh, that audio book. Well, that's, that's my pleasure. I, I, it's lovely, isn't it? So I, I was listening to that and I was both laughing and uh, tears welling up. Yes, I was, I was surprised actually how funny Charles Dickens He's he's a very funny writer. Uh, And, um, you know, it it is very witty uh, all the way through there. But uh, on the other hand, it is um, uh, quite emotional, you know. Yes. The the potential loss of Tiny Tim was too much to bear. Yes. And, of course, it is something that we know, but it was a real pleasure listening to it again. So you've inspired me to go to find out more of the books I really ought to have read and I haven't so I think absolutely Real Reads is definitely going to be my first starting point so remind me how do I go about buying them well the books are available in paperback and uh, they are available from any bookshop uh, your local bookshop um, you'll find uh, the Cook and Bookshop has them, and uh, and they can order them. Any any bookshop can any just bookshop, order them. From, any bookshop yeah. can order them. Uh, so and they're also available on um, uh, online retailers, of course. Uh, the audio books, which you've just listened to, that uh, fantastic yeah. one, uh, are available from Audible. They're downloadable uh, online, and uh, you can get them as eBooks as well. Oh right, they're, okay. They're also uh, from uh, online retailers. So. Uh, lots of different ways of enjoying, Great stuff. enjoying them. Great stuff. So we have come to the end of our Christmas week turning pages, everybody. So I really hope you enjoyed it. Uh, so, Mike, Christmas week, what are you going to be reading over the uh, over the, the holidays? Well, I'm in the middle of two books at the moment. The first one is non-fiction. It's called The Radical Potter. Uh, Josiah Wedgwood and I've tra- read great reviews about that the Transformation of Britain it's by Tristram Hunt who's yeah. the head of the V&A yes and it's just uh, wonderful and uh, I should have finished that by tomorrow night I mm-hmm. think or uh, certainly by uh, by Christmas Day uh, and uh, the other book I'm reading is uh, Bernard Corwell's um, Sharp's Assassin his latest um, adventure uh, in his sharp um, series of books. Fantastic. Uh, and again, I don't finish that by Christmas. So uh, I'm looking forward to opening my presents on Christmas Day and finding out what books there may be in store for me. Marvellous. I'm sure you're getting some really great books this uh, this Christmas. So other books that we've been recommending today are Charles Mackesy's The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and the Horse, published by Ebury Press. Richard Osman's The Thursday Murder Club, published by Penguin. Barack Obama's memoir, A Promised Land, also published by Penguin. David Walliams, a codename Bananas, published by HarperCollins. And The Pinch of Nom, Quick and Easy, by Kay Featherston and Kate Allenson, published by Pan Macmillan. So we look forward to you joining us next Wednesday between 11 and 12 noon on River Radio. So turning pages next week, we have another Christmas delight for you. Nick Hornby was a special guest at a a Cookham Festival winter event recently. And we've been given special permission to share this evening with River Radio listeners. Nick, of course, is a local boy. He went to school at Desborough in Maidenhead. 
and he's also been Oscar nominated for his film scripts. He's the author of best-selling books Fever Pitch and High Fidelity, where he invented a totally new literary genre, Ladlit. And these books, plus About a Boy, have all been made into major Hollywood films. And you might not know this, but he was also a lyricist. So next week, it is going to be a fabulous conversation with uh, Nick Hornby. And we'll also be having some music uh, performed because we'll be talking about his books. So it's absolutely fabulous. And don't forget, if you're not able to join us live for any of our programmes, you can listen again directly from our website. And Turning Pages is also available as a podcast. Just search for Turning Pages on River Radio Podcast. It was real delight. Thank you very much indeed for joining us and wishing you all